If you'd open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 15. We are working through these very interesting closing passages of Paul's letter. I can't help but be reminded of an old saying as we come to this. I can't remember where I heard it first, but the saying is, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it. In other words, you need an objective. You need a goal. You need to be aiming at certain things. And, And when we read letters like this letter to the church at Rome... We need to understand that the Apostle Paul had objectives in mind. He wasn't just writing because, gee, seemed like a nice afternoon to jot off a a, uh, systematic theological treatise to a bunch of people he'd never met. That wouldn't make any sense, and it doesn't make sense. And in fact, as we saw last week, Paul begins to open up for us um, his objectives in these closing passages The first, which we looked at last week, was that he had written to them by way of reminder. Because we need so desperately to be reminded that it is the gospel that is what has brought us to life and where we're to be living. Not just believing the gospel for salvation, but living in the gospel for the whole of our lives. That's what we're after. And this morning, I want to look at his second objective in writing this letter. And it comes to us in particularly in the second half of verse 15 through verses, verse 21. Let me pick up in 14 again and just read the context. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. You'll recall he's writing to a redeemed community, people who already know Christ. They're full of goodness. And secondly, filled with all knowledge. These are not people who are ignorant of the word of God or of the truth of Scripture, but are are certainly people that already know truth. And thirdly, are able to instruct one another. They're competent in the faith. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. And we explored that last week. No matter how competent we are, we need to be reminded of the essentials often. One of the, one of the uh, websites that I enjoy visiting on a regular basis, probably due to some perversity in my nature, is the Darwin Awards. If you've never been there, it's always worth a a trip by. Uh, The Darwin Awards are handed out by those who have improved the gene pool by eliminating themselves through foolish actions. Uh, One of my, the original ones that I ever read was of a man who had strapped a jet engine to his car because he wanted to go very fast. And he virtually disintegrated as he hit the side of the mountain. And as you read the account of the police when they say, well, he was traveling this far and then we can see where his wheels seized up because they weren't meant to go that fast. And then when he became airborne and then they found, I think, a few teeth in the steering wheel was about all they had left of him. He, his, his objective wasn't really clearly defined. He hadn't worked through the implications of that. Paul's not that way. So he's coming back and saying, well, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Even the best of us need to be reminded of some very 
necessary things at times, like the laws of physics. I had a, I worked for a gentleman for a number of years who had a different way of looking at the world. And years later, after I left his employ, I read in the newspaper that he had died. And the way that he had died was he had been reaching over top of himself with a chainsaw and cut a limb off, which promptly hit him in the head and killed him. Uh, his objective was to get the limb down, but he hadn't thought through what that ought to look like. Uh, Paul has thought through it pretty carefully. And, and, and uh, my friend Elmer needed to be reminded of the laws of physics. If you cut the branch off and it's heavier than your head, it will fall and crush you. You know, it's just a reminder of the basics. When I was really little, I was enamored with science fiction movies. And in every science fiction movie, the mad scientist has what's called a Jacob's Ladder. You always see it. It's two rods and a spark climbs up between them and then finally just, just an exciting thing for a young lad to have. So dad was out of the house one day and I thought, I can make one of those having just watched the movie. Um, that won't be hard. Hmm, rabbit ears on the TV. They look like they'd work. And so taking the rabbit ears off the back of the TV and taking the ends and splitting them and pushing them into the outlet did not produce the desired effect. Um, and so when it melted on the carpet and blew all the fuses, um, I needed to be reminded of certain uh, basics in order to get what I really wanted. And the walloping I got wasn't what I really wanted, but that's the way it worked out. And he says that he's done this. He's written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that, here's the objective that he has in mind for them, or at least one of them, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I've got a desire as I write to you that your life will produce Fruit that is acceptable to God, a sacrifice that, that's good to Him. We can live our Christian lives in very unfruitful ways that don't produce anything for His glory. And He's saying, I, I don't want that to be the case. I don't want you to, to go through your life without offering a sacrifice to God that's acceptable, that's sanctified, that's marked out by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work of God. I'm doing what I ought to be doing when I write to you this way. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. This is not about my work, but about what God has done through me. And to bring the Gentiles to obedience. The, the obedience of faith is the idea there. It's cited in chapter 1 and it's cited again in chapter 16. To bring people to the place where the obedience of their lives isn't obedience to some group of laws or regulations, but the obedience that's produced in the heart by faith when the heart has been united to Christ because we've trusted His atoning sacrifice on our behalf, and it produces in us a, a natural obedience, not a legalistic type of obedience. And that's what he's after in their lives. 
I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. I've done this in my preaching and in my action and by the power of signs and wonders, which he then summarizes both of those groups by this, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, that's an important phrase. This is his second rationale in a word, that he is fulfilling the ministry of the gospel of Christ. That's important because... Sometimes, and, and churches can be like this, and, and as Christians, we can lose the sense of objective of the fulfilling of the ministry of the church. What's that supposed to look like? And, and that's going to ultimately devolve on us as individuals because the church is comprised of the saints. It doesn't exist by itself. And thus, he says in verse 20, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. That's been the focus of his ministry, is preaching the gospel in unchurched or ungospelized, unevangelized places. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So he, he says, I have spent the bulk of my time, especially as he talks about preaching from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, kind of giving a, a circumference of his ministry over these past years. And I've done that, he says, in the way of planting churches. I've gone to places where no one else has preached the gospel, and I've established churches in those places, and I've seen that happen. But that is not the fulfillment of ministry. Fulfilling ministry isn't only evangelizing. There's another chief aspect to it. And that's what he's after here. Gospel ministry has two primary goals. The first is conversion. And, and so actually, if you're keeping notes, your, your Roman numeral two here is to fulfill the gospel ministry. That's what he's after. While his main focus has been evangelizing and planting churches, he realizes that the ministry is not fulfilled in just getting people reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's only half the job. Christians now have to grow into the image of Christ. And that's why he's writing to the folks in Rome. He's fulfilling. He's doing both parts that he's been called to. These are the, the two primary goals of his ministry, conversion and sanctification, if you've got A and B in your notes. Or instead of sanctification, we might simply say growth in Christ, or perhaps even the word edification. It's used in two other places. These are the two primary activities the church is to be involved in. These are the central things. Spread the gospel and then edify the saint, build them together so that, so that we're built up to an edifice that, that pleases God, that is a dwelling place for Christ and the Spirit. Paul's ministry is characterized by those two things, and the early church was characterized by those two things, and those are the two primary things that should characterize this congregation. Those are the two main things we should be about. Number one, let's preach the gospel so men are brought to Christ, so they're reconciled to him in saving faith. And then secondly, let's pour into one another's lives so that we grow together in the image of Christ. 
Now that's a, that's a big, that's a big job. There's a lot there to be done. We're always to be about these works. Let's go back for a second to Ephesians chapter 4. We just had it read for us. It's just a few pages over. Ephesians chapter 4. And remind ourselves of some very basic truths here. Picking up in verse 11, speaking of Christ in Ephesians chapter 4. Why is it that Christ gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers? What's that all about? To just build some sort of a nifty organization? To have some kind of neat outpost in the world? No. It's for this. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's y'all. To equip each of us, all of us, within the church for the work of the ministry. You have the work of the ministry to do. Every one of you that's here that knows Christ, that you're, you're to be involved in that. And he goes on to say what that looks like for the building up of the body of Christ, strengthening, helping, encouraging, growing. And, and what's that going to look like? Well, until we all attain, number one, to the unity of the faith. So that has to happen so that we, we're standing on the same foundation. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, so that everything is, is rooted in Christ and centered there, to mature manhood. Growing up, it's funny, in our culture, um, uh, just reading Al Mohler's blog uh, last week, he had uh, done an interview with a gal who's just written a book. Um, and I know I've mentioned this before. I, I'm going to come back to it in some more times in the future as well. He's just written a book about the nature of adolescence in American culture. Uh, adolescence is an interesting thing. It's a third category of human growth that never existed before North American culture. In every other culture around the world, no such thing as adolescence. You're a child until you reach puberty, and now you take on adult responsibilities. You're not a full adult, but you're an adult, and you need to take up the responsibility. We've built in a third category where we extend this nebulous region of childhood to, to adulthood where kids aren't really responsible to take on adult responsibilities. We want to keep them kids as long as we can keep them kids. When, in fact, God in his creation has told us when we stop being kids, our bodies tell us. Time to grow up. Time to take personal responsibility for my spiritual walk, my growth in Christ, what, I, what I'm going to do with my life. We, we tend to keep kids kids. This is not the way it works. The goal here is maturity. As parents, the, you know, the first goal we're after as we have our children is to raise them in such a way that they'll be able to walk with God well without us. And it's interesting that we then do the opposite often in the way that we raise them to keep them totally dependent on us. When we want them to live before Christ and with Christ, whether we stand or fall, whether we're here or not, that's the goal Paul has in mind. I, I want to see you come to the saving knowledge of Christ, but then I want to see you grow in him in such a way that when I pass off the scene, it's not going to be traumatic. The church will grow and continue and, and mature. And what is that maturity to look like? He, he tells us here again in the passage. 
to the measure of the fullness of the stature of the fullness of Christ to grow in his character where he walked with the father and did the father's will and sought the father's goals in the earth so that verse 14 what is that going to look like so that we may no longer be children we don't want to stay as children now i wonder have you given much thought to your own spiritual growth and what that looks like are you still a child or are you growing? Are you able to feed yourself and clothe yourself? Are you able to take on those responsibilities of prayer and study and the work of the ministry, which is, which is what your maturity is about? And, and the work of the ministry is to see others come to the saving knowledge of Christ and to see other Christians grow in Christ. Are, are, are we reproducing that type of, of thing? You see, this is what Paul's actually doing. He's modeling it for us. In this passage, and then, and then by means of that, challenging us to it. So that we may no longer be children, and what are one of the things that he denominates still being children? Well, being tossed to and fro by the waves. Those are external things. Churned, unsettled, unstable, and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Things that just blow around. Are we uprooted and and changed by what's just blowing around in the atmosphere around us? If so, we're not mature yet. We need to grow past that. We, we need to be where we're stable inwardly and not easily moved outwardly. That's maturity. So we'll no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so what he pictures is that we're coming together. That's what a joint is. It's where two dissimilar um, uh, things come together, where they meet and where they can function together. He's saying, I'm, I'm wanting to see that happen in the body so that you guys come together and in the process help each other grow and mature so that this whole group produces the image of Christ. Now, how are we to be about that? Uh, I, Paul is anticipating, I believe, in this passage in Romans, that you're going to go back and think about, since, since that was one of his goals, his first to serve as a reminder, but secondly, to fulfill his ministry, to do the second half of it, not just to see them converted, but, but now to, to help them grow in Christ and mature in Christ and, and what that looks like, we would expect that we could go back in Romans and, and pick up uh, some hint of what that was, how that was being accomplished in his letter. What was he doing? And in fact, I think we can. I think not only can we pick out here, and I didn't put this in your notes for the sake of space, but you can turn your paper over. There's going to be a, a number of things. What I, I think are seven reoccurring essentials that you find in New Testament writing. Whether it's Paul who writes or Peter or Jude or any, there are some central things that are, that are reoccurring all the way through the New Testament that need to be reaffirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed 
because they help us move in that direction. And, and I, we can pick these up in Paul's letter here. We'll use this as the template, but I think you can easily transfer it to all sorts of passages, all sorts of letters in the New Testament. The first that we need to do often is to reestablish the need for the gospel. I had a wonderful experience that Thursday before the mills left to spend the day with them. And um, I took them to a, a place to eat, and we did some sightseeing and around. And then as we were driving, I was making one last pass. We were coming up in front of Eastview Mall. And I said, well, that's, I don't know if you've been in a large American shopping mall. Maybe Maybe you'd like to see that. And Herman said, no, we don't need to do that. And from the back seat, I heard this little soft voice from, from his wife. And she said, oh, oh yes, please. And, uh, and, uh, and I said, oh, w- would you like to go? And Herman said, no, we don't need to do that. And, and then that little soft voice said, oh, oh yes, please. And, and so I said, well, then we'll go. You know? and, and so off we went to Eastview Mall. And, and I took them in the front entrance, and they were aghast. Completely aghast. And as we walked along those beautiful floors and looked at the the windows and the the goods that were in them, Herman turned to me and he said, "Hmm, people here don't need God. I said, bingo. Bingo. People don't know their need of the gospel. And that's why Paul develops those first two chapters, first three chapters, in such detail. Because the people that we speak to in conversion don't think of themselves as in desperate need of a Savior. We're well off. We live in great affluence. I took them by a house. There's a house in Victor that is, that is by virtue of its ostentation, actually quite funny to look at. Um, all sorts of statuary and things that are way out of place. And, um, and it is really an entertaining uh, house. Um, it, you go by that, and, and, and they looked at that. They got out of the car to look at it because they just couldn't believe it. I mean, it's, it's a spectacle. And they got out of the car, and they looked at it, and got back in the car, and he said, what vast wealth exists here? And I said, I, boy, I... This is going to be hard, Herman. These aren't even the super rich. It's just kind of the really well-off in upper-middle-class America. The super rich goes so far beyond that. And once again came the thought, people don't need God. They don't realize their need. So Paul spends the, the opening portions, and isn't it interesting that he does this to the church, to the Roman church? Maybe you need to be reminded today of why you need the gospel, of the severity of the fall, of what it means that the whole human race was separated from God by one act and that we in unified cosmic rebellion set ourselves against Him and are born into this world with hearts that are contrary to Him. Oh, we don't think of ourselves at war with Him, but as we've mentioned before, we're all in a battle with God over who has the right of supremacy over our own souls. I have the right of life myself. I I have the right of self-determination. 
And Scripture says, no, you, you don't realize you were made in God's image for His glory. And as, as, a, as a race, we've fallen and rebelled. And, and that sin that is the result, the corruption that's the result of that, has infected and invaded every fiber of our being so that we don't want to serve God. We don't want His holiness. We want to establish our own. I just read yesterday a monograph by uh, a gal who is a born-again lesbian who said, it finally dawned on me that God just accepts me the way I am. Heaven help us. He accepts us in Christ, but He doesn't leave us in our sin. We don't understand how fallen we are. It's what theologians call the noetic effects of sin. We're, we're so darkened, we can't tell how dark it is. And so Paul says, I need to remind you that those opening chapters, and this, this is one of the things we need to do, especially in our evangelism. Most people don't know they have a need of Christ the way we understand that need. They don't understand the depth of their sinfulness. I need a hand up. I need a, a little help. I need a little correction. No, we, we need to be born again. We need to be raised from the dead. We need to be forgiven of our trespasses and sins and, and made new creatures in Christ. Our, our situation is absolutely desperate. And we don't realize that. And Paul says that's, that's part of how I fulfill my ministry is I, I come back and, and reestablish the nature of sin and depravity or as, as Romans 3.23 puts it so succinctly, for all have sinned. And what's the nature of that sin? We fall short of the glory of God. We were made so that we would manifest Him, make Him known in the earth, and we no longer display His image as much as we display that of our fallen father, Adam. And all have sinned and fall short of that glory. The only way you can be right with God is to have the glory of God that's equivalent to God's own glory. I need Him. I need a Savior. I need a Redeemer. Because that's God's standard, is His own perfection. So, we need to reestablish the need of the Gospel. The second thing that you'll see reoccurring throughout this letter and, and others like it in the New Testament is to reiterate the Gospel itself. I not only need to reestablish the need for the Gospel, we need to reiterate the Gospel. And doesn't he spend great time unfolding that in this wonderful letter? How he goes back and to these people who already know the truth, these good people, these knowledgeable people, these capable people. Nevertheless, he reiterates the gospel. It's much of what we talked about last week. And how we need to make sure it's fixed in grace and grace alone. And no place else. Romans 3.20, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The only thing the law can do is diagnose my broken bones, but it can't heal them on any level. No, I need a, a gospel of grace that tells me that God freely gives to all who come, to all who believe. Romans 3.28, For we, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. That's, a person isn't reconciled to God by doing good things or being a good person, but by believing in Christ Jesus as the sacrifice for sin is their substitute. 
and trusting Him and His righteousness rather than anything we can produce. Or Romans 4, 5, And to the one who does not work, but trusts Him who justifies, declares righteous the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. We reiterate the gospel. So we, we go back and we reestablish the need for the gospel. And then we reiterate the gospel all the time, especially as we saw last week, because you and I need it so desperately over time. Third, we would see in these passages that, that we need to radically focus others on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Not on the church, not on a system, not on a formula, not on, on some sort of a religious uh, basis, but, but to radically focus others on the person and work of Jesus Christ, God's love in Christ and His substitutionary atonement at Calvary. Everything centers in Christ. And, and oh, how, how He fulfills His ministry by reminding us, by radically focusing us back on Christ all the way through this letter and in His other letters as, as well. We won't take the time this morning, but Romans 5, 18 through 21 is, a, again, a wonderful digest of how He does that in one place in this letter. But you see these things as recurring all the way through the, path, through the book. Uh, fourth thing that is recurring all the way through here is to revisit the role of the Holy Spirit. That when Christ died and ascended on high, He sent the Spirit for us. And the Spirit is given so that there is power for the journey. And so there's illumination for the Word. And so there is being wrought in our hearts new desires after holiness and righteousness that wouldn't be there natively, that aren't there natively. You go back over to Galatians 5. That's exactly what he's doing in, in going back to the, the fruit of the Spirit and saying, are, are you lacking in love or joy or peace or long-suffering or gentleness or meekness or kindness or self-control? The Spirit produces those things freely. Go to Him. Draw from Him. He has all of those. He's the supply. Maybe you're lacking those things this morning. Maybe, maybe this morning in your own Christian life, joy has fled. You don't have that enlarged heart of love anymore. Peace doesn't characterize the state of your soul right now. You're short-tempered with everyone, not long-suffering. There's, there's an edge. There's no gentleness, no meekness. No kindness, and you find yourself bound by particular sins. There's no self-control. Beloved, that's the Spirit. He provides all of those in measure that we can't begin to to count because He says, just come. There's no law against these things. You can come and partake as much as you want. And we need to remind each other to revisit the role of the Holy Spirit in life and, and how He's to be depended upon. We live in conscious, deliberate dependence upon the Holy Spirit or the, the life of the Christian is an impossibility. Only, only through that. And, and Paul develops that, especially in Romans chapter 8 and verses 1 through 11. He goes back and says, let's, let's revisit that role of the Holy Spirit in your life and, and what He does and how He produces in you the likeness of Christ. Fifth, Fifth, I can see and hear how he reminds them of God's faithfulness to his promises. 
Don't you need to be reminded of God's faithfulness when you're going through a, a difficult time, a struggle, and be reminded of the fact that His faithfulness, that His character is absolutely trustworthy and He will not fail you even when you can't sort out the details. He does that especially in Romans chapter 11 where he deals with the fact that how do, we, how do we reckon with Israel being God's people and yet them being cut off and, and not partaking of the promises and yet God using the salvation of the Gentiles to make them jealous and to bring them back in. How inscrutable are his ways and, and we need to, be, to go back again and again and, and make sure we're, we're recalling this reality that he's so faithful. And to, and to remind each other of God's faithfulness. This is ministry to each other, folks. It's ministry to each other. It's exactly what Paul's doing. He's, he's fulfilling it in this letter. He's showing us what it looks like. He's giving us a practical example. Sixth, to root out the implications of our salvation with God and with one another. What These closing chapters, 12 through, through 15, what does it look like to be a saved person? To be renewed in the spirit of the mind so that I, I live like a saved person in this world today and not like just some other guy who has religion tacked on. And, and don't we need to go back and root that out for each other and help each other in that area? And lastly, to reorient the believer toward the coming hope. That this life is short and at times miserable, but the great hope, the great glory of our salvation is at hand. It's coming soon. And to reorient us away from the things that the world can give. The world can only offer you three things, according to 1 John. The world can only offer you what you can experience in this physical body, who you can be in your own or other people's eyes, or what you can possess. Material goods. That's it. All three of which are passing away, fading. So if, if those are the things where, where you are today, where, where you're struggling with perhaps that you haven't achieved your station, you're not getting the respect or the recognition you deserve or you think you deserve. Or, or maybe you're not in the house that you finally wanted. Or you're not, you, haven't, you haven't achieved that bank account that you were hoping for. You haven't reached that pinnacle of success. Or, or you've got to experience relationships with 30 more women or 30 more men before you're filled and complete. That, that's the world. And, and he wants to, to help us reorient ourselves constantly toward, toward the reality that our hope is what's coming, not, not what's here now. We, we only have a taste here, a down payment. We're, we're looking for fullness in Christ's return and in what he brings to us. Our true and final joy is Christ in heaven. Romans 13, 11 through 14 goes on to reiterate that for those are the things that we see just happening all the way through here and that's how paul says i I fulfilled my ministry to you i came back and i put those things in front of you again and and beloved these are things these part of what we need to do with each other in fulfilling our ministry we can't we can't neglect either either the evangelization of those who don't know christ or the building up of the saints through these means these are this is the focus this is what we're called to these are the objectives 
Well, our time is a is about gone for us here. So let me let me give you some suggestions toward that end. And then we'll come back and unpack Paul's third rationale next week, God willing, and and kind of finish up where we are here. But let me give you some suggestions on what that looks like in the body of Christ together, us, as we we just saw Paul work through it briefly here. The first thing I would I would say to you is that part of this, at least, has to happen in the sharing of experiences with one another, the sharing of your Christian life with one another. Uh, it doesn't happen in isolation. It happens where joints come together, where, where two, two members come together. That's where the joint fastens. Do you share your successes in Christ with other believers? Where God's, where God's shown you how to deal with certain things in your life and, and what that looks like. Have you shared that with anybody else? This is fulfilling your ministry. It's good if you witness at the office or wherever else you go, but, but there's more to that. There's, there's ministering to this body together, you see. Do you share where you failed with others? We're scared to do that in the church, aren't we? We're scared to say, this is an area where I, 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 I have failed badly in times past. But that's how we build that ministry relationship. Let me tell you where I really blew it. Let me tell you what that looked like. I'm justified in Christ. I can't come back and destroy my salvation. So I can share with you freely. This is a place where I really fell. And, 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 then, and then share with them your current struggles. We're almost afraid to talk to one another about where we're currently struggling. Don't we? I don't want anybody to know I struggle well, then you limit your ability to, to minister to anybody else. If you don't struggle, you can't, you can't help the other guy who's struggling. Sure you struggle. Every one of you do. So do I. We all have areas where we struggle, where we, we wish our prayer life was better. We wish our, our understanding of the Scripture was better. We wish we had, we had better grip on a, a particular area of our lives, over our thought life, or over, over things we do, or over attitudes, or the way we, we blow up at one another, or, 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 or all those different things where we, we all struggle. We're, we're creatures still riddled with indwelling sin, and, and part of ministering to one another is, is talking to the other guy and saying, hey, this is an area where I struggle. And, and maybe then getting together with that other person and saying, hey, if you're struggling there and I'm struggling there, can we pray for each other and talk to each other about this and help each other? Because I can't go this alone. You're, you're not meant to. That's getting back to that fulfilling your ministry. Do you, do you tell other people what's helped you when you've been in trial, tribulation, difficulty? What's been helpful to you? It'll be helpful to somebody else. It really will. Other people need to know. Or how God's blessed you. I know sometimes we're almost afraid to say uh, we've received a certain blessing. I don't want to tell anybody because I don't want them to, to feel like they aren't getting blessed or feel like they're jealous. I tell you, ultimately it becomes an encouragement. Ultimately it becomes an encouragement. Tell others where, where God's blessed you. That's okay. That's a good thing. And, and if the other person's jealous over that, then there's an area where they struggle and they need help. That's, that's good. That's acceptable. We're helping each other grow into the image of Christ. And, and 
We do that. that. You see that in 2 Corinthians, don't you, where Paul finally unpacks the whole of his struggles and trials and tribulations, how many times he's been beaten and in the water and, and misunderstood and the pressure of the churches on him, how, how at one point he was so distracted by concern over what was going on at the church of Corinth that he had to leave off his evangelizing work. He was paralyzed by it until Timothy came and told him what was going on. It's where we are. And, and boy, we, we can sure minister to each other in that. Another suggestion for, for fulfilling our ministry to each other is to share knowledge with each other. What you've learned both in the Word and in life. Share it with somebody else. I know we've used the analogy before. Forgive me, but it, it is useful and it is biblical. The Jordan River feeds two bodies of water, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea has nothing in it, no, no fish life of any kind. Same river feeds both bodies of water. What's the difference? The body of water called the Dead Sea has no outlet. Water doesn't flow through it, it stops there. And when God's knowledge, the knowledge of His truth and His Word and what you've experienced stops with you and doesn't flow to someone else, you stagnate. You're the one who dies. Because we're made to be conduits of Christ's love and grace to each other. We've got to do that. That's what Paul's doing. Let me tell you what I've learned. Let me tell you what I've, what I've encountered, what I've, what I've grown to know. And, and let me pass that on to you. And some of you are going to say, hey, I already knew that. Well, good for you. Pass it on to somebody else. There's nothing wrong with that. We, we need to, to do those things. A third is just simple encouragement. People are struggling and going through dark times all the time. And just, I, I cannot tell you the simple reality. One of the, there, there's, one of these days I'll go back to it and do it. There is an entire study to be done on the very nature of kindness in the Christian's life. We've grown very unkind. Courtesy to one another so that each other are encouraged by that. Simple hi. And I was thinking about you the other day and a smile crossed my face. I like you. You're, you're, I like you. Man, just simple encouragement. You're doing a good job. I, I saw you the other day and I like that. To warn others where you've tripped or fallen or been trapped or greatly erred. I think at times, I hope, I've tried to do these very things from the pulpit, tell you some of these things in my own life. I can't bear them all. You'd fire me. But try to give you some. And in private, more. Prayer is such ministry one to another. And example... And if I can, just going back and reiterating those, those seven essentials, reminding each other of those, those core things that, that make us his. This is, this is Paul's second objective. I've written this great letter to you, and in the process, I have fulfilled my ministry. I've done the second layer. I've not just seen evangelization, but I've contributed to your growth. If you're not contributing to the growth of other people, you're robbing them. 
and you are preventing yourself from growing in Christ's image. Why? Because Christ came, said, I came not to be served, but to serve. That's <laughs> exactly what I was here to do. Serve others. And that's where we go. And we find great joy. And I'll tell you, you, you will never find new supplies, fresh supplies, until you give away what you've already got. So that it's useful for someone else in, in their growth in Christ or in their coming to the saving knowledge of Christ. That's, that's what the church is. And, and that's, this is a call to us to say, l- l- let's take that up. Let's be that too, the way we're supposed to be. There's, there's our twin objectives, to make sure the message of the gospel can go as far and as wide as we can make it go and pool our resources and talents to that end. And secondly, then to help one another grow in Christ to that end. And, and again, pool our resources to that, to, that, to that end. How can we do that? How can we do that effectively? That's... That's what Paul was doing. I'm fulfilling my ministry, and, and by it, he challenges us to fulfill ours. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it, for the challenge of it, for the comfort of it, for the truth of it, for the depth of it, for the, for the way that it cuts through the smoke and the stuff and sets us back on the essentials because we're so easily distracted by so many other things. Oh, do work in us as a congregation. We want to fulfill our ministry. We want to take up both of these objectives that you've laid out before us. You gave it to us in Matthew 28. Jesus, you told us, go out and make disciples of all nations, preach the gospel so that they're converted, and and don't leave it there, but instruct them, teach them, in all the things that I've commanded you, so that, so that together we grow into the image of Christ and begin to manifest your life remarkably in this earth. Help us find that sure footing and not be distracted by other things that could, could grip us, but to stay sharp and to stay focused on these, Lord, and to live in the joy that that brings in our hearts as we find ourselves pouring out how you continue to pour in and refresh and renew and give us fresh supplies for the others. Oh, may we live in that all the time by these simple patterns that have been shown here to the church through your saints. Oh, bless your people in this, I pray. Lead us in these things, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.